Coming up on Bridging the Gap. You know, despite the market downturn, uh, illicit transaction volume rose for the second consecutive year, hitting an all-time high of 20 billion. Once again, if you look at this uh, in relative terms, we're talking about less than 1% of the overall uh, transaction volume that we're seeing in the space. So it's very low compared to the fiat world, where you're probably looking at 2 to 5%. Welcome to Bridging the Gap, a web-free podcast dedicated to uniting the perspectives of visionary founders and forward-thinking investors, covering the world of decentralized technology and discovering the stories, challenges, and breakthroughs responsible for defining the future of the internet. Bridging the Gap is created and hosted by the V2VL team, a web-free token distribution investing platform. Check us out at vtvl.io. In today's episode, we're speaking with Ulisse Del Orto, breaking down the 2023 crypto crime report. Ulisse is the managing director of Chainalysis for the Asia Pacific and Japan region. We learn about the key takeaways from the crime report, how the overall industry is doing in terms of security, scams, and money laundering, as well as how we can work together as an industry to make the web-free space safer for everyone. Let's dive right into it. Hey, Uli, thanks so much for joining us on Bridging the Gap. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, thanks. How are you? Good as well, and uh, quite excited to get into the conversation. I think if we look at security and just transparency and web free, they're obviously very important. And I think if you ask any builder in the ecosystem, they'll agree that for the industry to actually mature, we need to fix a lot of the existing security issues, start trying to minimize rugs and exploits, and just generally build a more rigid and safe ecosystem for all participants. And so I think our conversation today will be quite beneficial towards figuring out where we are currently, what problems still exist, as well as gaining some insights into how we could possibly collectively work together towards fixing these problems in our industry. And so the first question I wanted to start off with is, what are your key takeaways from the 2023 crypto crime report? Sure. So we have identified five main key takeaways. Uh, the first one is definitely that uh, the share of all cryptocurrency activity associated with illicit activity went up for the first time since 2019. We're talking about uh, you know, 0.12% in 2021 to 0.24% in 2022. Uh, another trend that we have identified is that you know, despite, despite the market downturn, uh, illicit transaction volume, volume rose for the second consecutive year, hitting an all-time high of 20 billion. Once again, if you look at this uh, in relative terms, we're talking about less than 1% of the overall uh, transaction volume that we're seeing in the space. So it's very low compared to the fiat world, where you're probably looking at 2 to 5%. A third trend that we've seen, or a key takeaway, is that uh, you know, transaction volumes fell across uh, all of uh, you know, the other more conventional categories of cryptocurrency-related uh, crime, with the exception of stolen funds. Stolen funds actually rose 7% year on year, and probably we can talk about that um, later on. Uh, the last two uh, key takeaways that we have identified and seen is that ransomware revenue fell 40% in 2022 compared to the year prior. Uh, we actually believe that this reflects a trend that victims aren't paying ransom like they did in the past, and not necessarily that attacks are down. Um, so this is um, you know, our findings suggesting that a combination of factors are, are leading to that, such as security preparedness, sanctions, 
uh, more stringent insurance policies. But essentially, that's the trend and takeaway that we have we have identified. And last but not least, crypto scam revenue also dropped as crypto prices decrease. And we clearly saw a link between you know different scams using a blockchain analysis, uh, you know romance scams uh, including pig butchering. Um, brought actually the most revenue per victim. Uh, I think we can talk about that later on, but I found this super interesting. So these are the five key takeaways that we have identified in the in the report. Yeah, that's quite interesting. I mean, looking at the crime report, all 10 of 2022's top scams were actually investment scams. Could you talk a little bit more about this? Of course. So investment scams dominated the overall scam revenue in 2022, uh, but interestingly, the total scam revenue fell significantly from 10.9 billion to 5.9 billion, and this is largely due to market conditions. Uh, maybe for the audience, an investment scams uh, is essentially a scam in which a froster or fraudsters promote a fake investment company promising outsized returns. A good example of that could be um, the Hyperverse, which uh, was a 1.3 billion dollar revenue. Um, you know, Ponzi scheme where essentially victims were promised uh, to triple their money in 600 days. Uh, obviously, that was uh, the biggest one that we have identified in the in the report last year. Uh, we also have identified, you know, a trend which is scam revenue tracks almost perfectly with Bitcoin's price. So it consistently maintained a three-week lag between price moves and changes in revenue. And this is particularly true for investment scams. Um, there are other very interesting uh, data points that we have identified, such as most scam types disproportionately receive revenue from the U.S., and this is especially true for NFT-related scams. Um, uh, the, 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 going back to the, the romance uh, type of scam that we talked about earlier, um, they essentially have lower revenue uh, overall, but appear to have been the most destructive you know, from a revenue-per-victim basis. So uh, rev- uh, romance scams... Uh, to, kind of, uh, to essentially take, uh, on average, $16,000 per victim, which is nearly triple the next closest category. Uh, obviously, there is an emotional component. Um, you know, there has been, a, uh, I think, a Netflix series about this, um, uh, the Tinder Swinder uh, in the past. I think that's the closest thing we have to that. Um, that's uh, super interesting. And from a law enforcement perspective, actually, law enforcement created uh, a task force called, called the REACT Task Force in Santa Clara County in the United States. It's actually focused on tracing uh, funds in the cryptocurrency space, uh, identifying key wallets and you know, attempting to, to effectively seize uh, the assets. So these are some of the interesting uh, data points that we have identified, but also how law enforcement is proactively tackling the problem. Right. And when we're talking about scams, what techniques are currently being used to facilitate them? Yeah. So we're essentially looking at a, a range, a variety of, of techniques. Um, probably it makes sense to uh, you know define them uh, one by one. So you have giveaway scams, which are essentially scams in which fraudsters uh, solicit victims to send them cryptocurrency, uh, promising them, uh, you know, more return. That's a, you know, a very basic one. Um, you also have impersonation scams. Um, these are scams in which fraudsters pretend to be someone in a position of authority or expertise. You know, we have seen this when uh, there were the, the Twitter hacks, where essentially Elon Musk was offering, uh, you know, millions of dollars in Ether or, or things like that. But you could also have 
a social security representative, you know, uh, pretending to, to be helping someone and actually uh, scamming them directly. So that's another example. Then you have invent investment scams, which we talked about uh, earlier, promoting fake investment company, pro promising outsized returns. You also have NFT scams, which are essentially scams in which fraudsters uh, trick victims into buying, you know, fake NFTs designed uh, to resemble essentially uh, more notable uh, collections. Uh, this was extremely popular, especially when we had the NFT boom, which led to, uh, you know, volumes connected to NFT of over uh, $40 billion. Um, we're seeing a bit less of that uh, uh, in the last uh, last year, but this is an important one as well. And then last but not least is obviously a romance scams uh, in which fosters, you know, pretend to build a romantic relationship with the victim. Uh, and in some instances, this is what we call like the big butchering scams. Uh, they, they do this for quite a long time. So I, I find it super interesting because uh, not, not many people talk about that, but um, it's actually one of the biggest trends that we have seen in 2022. Uh, the why we call it pig butchering is the analogy. The analogy here is essentially fat, fattening a pig before slaughter, um, and pig butchering is a slow burn scam, uh, essentially focused on building trust, uh, trusting relationships with the with the victims. Um, you know, like frequently, you know, creating uh, accounts on social media using uh, apps like WeChat, WhatsApp. Um, it's uh, it's been a very big trend, and especially in Southeast Asia. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Moving on, let's talk a little bit about sanctions. The number of sanctioned crypto-related entities has actually grown in 2022. How did sanction designations affect crypto crime? Yeah, so if you look at sanctions, the success of sanctions enforcement uh, entirely depends on jurisdiction and technical constraints. So 2022 has seen some of OFAC's biggest cryptocurrency serving this nation to date. Uh, OFAC, maybe for the audience, is the Financial Intelligence Agency of the U.S. Uh, Treasury Department. And essentially, the agency that uh, firstly started sanctioning, uh, you know, cryptocurrency businesses or addresses uh, that included uh, cryptocurrency addresses. That was, that was very new. It happened uh, in the last few years. Uh, so three in particular of these designations are, are notable not just due to their size, but also in how each uh, highlights unique challenges in enforcing the sanctions against different types of crypto entities. Uh, one of them is uh, a decentralized mixer uh, named Tornado Cash. Uh, so Tornado Cash, after uh, the designation, saw inflows of cryptocurrency fall 68% in just 30 days. So that was a very effective uh, enforcement of, of, of the sanction. Uh, and we actually seen a decrease in usage of mixers overall in 2022, probably also due to the effectiveness of, of sanctions. If you look at another example, you know, Russian-based cryptocurrency exchange, Garantex, actually, you know, sanctions uh, were not very effective. Uh, in a sense, the average monthly inflows rose from 600 million to $1.3 billion following the, um, the sanction. So... If we have another example with Darken Market, Hydra, for example, essentially, if you look at uh, combining these trends, uh, enforcement is a surprisingly more effective when coupled with a, with a law enforcement shutdown. And this was a perfect example with Darken Market, Hydra. So not every sanction is effective. Uh, the jurisdiction plays a very important role. And some technical constraints, as mentioned initially, 
uh, are also very important in determining whether these are effective or not. Right. Yeah, that makes sense as well. And I mean, looking at some insights from the crime report, ransomware revenue is actually down in 2022 as more victims refuse to pay. What do you think has changed? And can we say that users are becoming more aware of these activities? Definitely. So, um, you know, we've seen a massive uh, decrease in in revenue. Um, We are making the assumption that this is not connected to... um, you know, like uh, a decrease in actual activity or attacks, but more in how uh, victims, and when we talk about victims, we talk about individuals or companies are uh, equipped to deal with this type of, uh, of attacks. So we've seen uh, uh, best investments in security preparedness. Uh, you know, companies tend to have access to transaction monitoring capabilities, either reactively or proactively. We've seen sanctions. Uh, especially sanctions connected to Russian actors uh, or North Korean actors, um, which also led to seizures, um, which is which is pretty unique. Uh, we also seen more stringent insurance policies, um, and and these are, these have been very very effective in curbing you know payments uh, and ransomware actors extortion. So uh, we believe that this trend will continue, um, but. It will be interesting to see next year how uh, you know the the data will uh, what data we will have on that because essentially the number of attacks is not slowing down. It's just a, a question of companies and individuals being more prepared to and being more educated about what to do when this happens. So I'm very curious to see what happens next year when it comes to ransomware. Yeah, that'll definitely be interesting to look into. Uh, Moving on into money laundering, based on your research, we saw a 68% increase in laundered cryptocurrency last year. Could you elaborate a little bit on the reason behind this and what could have actually caused it? Of course. So um, the increase is mostly driven by exploiting the DeFi space. Um, What's super interesting is that the world of crypto money laundering is relatively small and very concentrated. So to give you an example, just four deposit addresses received a combined 1.1 billion in illicit funds in 2022, and 21 deposit addresses account for 50% of all funds sent uh, from ransomware to fiat off ramps. So the beauty of blockchain is obviously the transparency of the technology, but also how concentrated it is. So law enforcement agencies can take advantage of that uh, directly. When we look at the 68%, that's essentially $23.8 billion worth of cryptocurrency in 2022. That's a massive uh, number. But obviously, in relative terms, we're talking about less than 1%, as mentioned earlier. Um, another uh, point of data that we have is that centralized exchanges were the biggest recipients of these funds. Uh, this is essentially due to the fact that they serve as fiat off ramps for criminals. Um, and again, you know, more, more illicit funds were sent to DeFi protocols than ever before. Uh, this was a, a trend that started in 2020. Um, we've also seen, um, you know, mixers being used less compared to uh, uh, the year prior. Uh, this is mostly due to, to sanctions. Um, but, you know, last but not least, an interesting trend that we have identified is uh, underground money laundering services uh, growing quite exponentially. Um, this is typically services that are accept- accessible only through private messaging apps or like Tor browsers, uh, and they're usually only advertised on darknet forums. Um, the closest thing that we could uh, compare them to is, you know, a similarity that could be made could be rogue OTC brokers. 
uh, that you know we, we've talked about in the past. But these are some of the you know attributions to the to the 68 percent and some of the new trends that we've identified in the past year. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, let's talk DeFi a little bit. There's been over $3.8 billion worth of stolen funds, primarily from DeFi protocols by North Korean-linked nation-state attackers. In your opinion, how do we make DeFi safer for every user? Yeah, so maybe I can you know, I can answer this question by uh, looking at uh, some of the bad news or bad events that have happened and some of the, the good things that are happening in the space. So if we look at uh, the difficulty that we're facing here is that DeFi is still at an infancy stage. Within the industry, blockchain is still at an infancy stage. And um, that essentially means that uh, the space is moving at an exponential pace. Um, and we're not equipped at the moment from a regulatory perspective or law enforcement perspective to tackle criminal activity the way that we would like to be. Uh, that being said, you know, the industry is making continuous progress in terms of security, preparedness, and regulatory enforcement to get there. So if we look at, um, you know, DeFi protocols, they accounted for 82% of all cryptocurrency stolen funds by hackers. Uh, that's an increase from 73% in 2021. And of that uh, 3.1 billion, 64% came from Crossbridge uh, protocols specifically. So just giving some, some interesting points of data. Uh, focusing on North Korea, uh, they are unfortunately breaking records when it comes to theft um, and doing that uh, at an incredible pace, stealing essentially 1.7 billion worth of cryptocurrency across several hacks. Uh, this is going up from, from, from last year. Now, uh, on the good news front, uh, uh, we, we have seen tremendous success in terms of, of seizures, in terms of uh, transaction monitoring cases. Now, one of them is $30 million worth of cryptocurrency stolen by North Korean linked hackers from the Axie Infinity hack uh, were seized. Uh, we launched a, a very important investigation, uh, and that was probably the first investigation uh, that was launched for the Crypto Instant Response, which is essentially one of Chainaz's uh, top services for cryptocurrency businesses. Uh, we essentially proved that uh, when uh, a company gets hacked, there is a possibility to recover the funds. And this is not the first time that, that we've done that across different investigations. So that's a, that's a positive sign, and more of that should happen. Um, another highlight that I think is important is the Qubit hack. Uh, so essentially what happened there, hackers found an exploitable error in the code governing QBridge and uh, essentially drained uh, the protocol of 80 million. Uh, the law enforcement agency in Korea managed to uh, trace those funds and run a very successful investigation. So essentially what we need to do is uh, have more uh, increased transaction margin capabilities, code audits, and preparedness um, to essentially help cryptocurrency uh, protocols, DeFi protocols, to be more prepared for these type of uh, exploits, but also uh, enable law enforcement agencies to run investigations more proactively and more rapidly. In a previous episode, we spoke to Robert from OtterSec, and uh, he was also saying that recovery of funds is starting to be a big thing and something that we're actually having some success with, which is uh, definitely good to hear. I've asked you quite a few specific questions, so maybe let's move on to something more general. What do you think the biggest challenge facing the crypto markets is currently, and what steps do you think need to be taken to address these challenges? 
Yeah, that's that's a that's a great question. I think that um, you know the future uh, will likely be marked by the growing adoption of crypto across most sectors of the economy, which is obviously positive. But as a result of that, we expect the total amount of crypto crime to continue to rise over time. The important takeaway is that the share of this activity relative to the total on-chain transfers of economic value should fall. So that's the most important thing, you know, and, and one, one of the most important misconceptions often you hear, you know, uh, there's still too many people talking about how, how uh, crypto is only used by criminals and, you know, the, the share of crypto crime in the, in the industry. It's actually very, very small and smaller than what you would see in the fiat world. Essentially, going back to my, my point that I mentioned earlier, we're dealing with technology at an infancy stage, moving at an exponential pace. We have limited regulatory oversight, and this is a perfect environment for criminals to, to try to enter the space, right? Uh, that being said, you know, we have seen major successes in, in law enforcement, uh, cases of, you know, seizures of billions of dollars, uh, cases of shutting down, um, you know, child uh, uh, pornography websites, largest in the world, you know, welcome to video, Chainalysis was behind that. We're also seeing regulators being much more proactive when it comes to, you know, enforcing regulation. You're seeing this in Hong Kong where, you know, uh, even banks are exploring whether whether to enter the space. Um, I think that those are all positive signs. Obviously, the difficulty is that the industry moves at uh, an exponential pace and the regulators are not able to move at that pace just yet. So essentially, um, key steps uh, to limit the crypto crime growth is more robust regulation globally with local enforcement. Uh, I would say more robust AML solution adoptions across all sectors, whether it's investigation or compliance, both are needed. And more education and enablement across the private and public sector, because uh, the only way to make things work is for both public and, and private sector to work together towards the same goal. Um, these are, I would say, the, the most important steps to, to limit crypto crime growth in, in the future. Right. And we've spoken about law enforcement quite a bit in this episode. So, I mean, I'm curious to get your take. In the web-free ecosystem, different participants can often have various views on external law enforcement and what level of involvement they should have. In your opinion, how can law enforcement work with the web-free industry to investigate web-free scams and exploits? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, law enforcement uh, is uh, is essential in uh, running investigations on chain. Um, I think that um, web-free companies are incentivized to work with law enforcement. Um, often what happens is that, uh, you know, web-free companies, some of the largest web-free companies out there um, have very large um, compliance and investigation teams. And the interesting fact is that actually these teams are made of ex-law enforcement agents. Uh, and that's probably the best practice that we've seen in the industry. So you would have a, a large team of compliance or investigators um, that come from, you know, a different police or intelligence agencies and run investigations uh, for these large exchanges. The best way to, to do it is essentially to build a team that works proactively towards preventing crime. Uh, with solutions uh, that enable the exchange or the, the web-free uh, company to essentially uh, have data in real time, prevent activities when possible in real time, 
and share this information with law enforcement as much as possible. Now, obviously, you know, there is always a debate about privacy and security. I think that one of the important uh, things to mention here, and I can talk about Chainalysis, you know, Chainalysis does not uh, gather uh, personal information of individuals. Uh, we gather uh, data that comes from, from public blockchains. Um, the KYC information that, uh, that you might have, that's, that's actually stored by uh, cryptocurrency businesses, web-free businesses. And these businesses are only sharing this information when uh, it is connected to illicit activities, right? So you have a, you know, a, very, uh, a very delicate case connected to uh, you know, um, a darkened market, connected to terrorist fin financing. Um, they are in a position where they should be sharing these type of activities, but obviously it depends on the jurisdiction. It depends on the relationship that they have with lo local law enforcement, global law enforcement. But overall, I think that it's, I think that some of the best practices could be one, uh, build a team of compliance and investigators uh, that probably comes from the law enforcement space. Uh, two, enable your teams with uh, tools that have access to real-time uh, uh, transaction monitoring information and are able to proactively tackle uh, crypto crime. Uh, and three, uh, you know, continuously and constantly communicate with law enforcement agencies, both locally and internationally, because they will help you in the long run. And uh, that's the best way to essentially prevent crime and, and build a good private and public uh, partnership. Right, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and I think that's a very fair take on 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 the overall kind of issue. And my final question really is: in crypto, we often see quite a few pump and dump schemes, especially during bull markets, and this can often actually negatively taint the web free and crypto industry from the outside, as uh, a lot of uh, mainstream people that are kind of looking from the outside in into crypto uh, kind of see it as like a Ponzi scheme or something that's not safe. And oftentimes, inexperienced users are the ones that are actually negatively affected by these pump and dump schemes. Can you share some advice on how someone can prevent being a victim? Of course. So, you know, when we look at uh, pump and dump schemes, they become common in the crypto world, largely due to the relatively ease with which bad actors can essentially launch a new token, establish an artificially high price and market capitalization for it on paper, by essentially seeding the initial trade volume and controlling the circulating supply. Um, if we look also at an, another uh, reason why, why it's, it's been easier uh, for these criminals is that you know, teams launching new projects and tokens can also remain very often anonymous, uh, which makes it possible for serial offenders to carry out multiple pump and dump schemes uh, at the same time. To give you an interesting piece of data, of the 40,000 uh, tokens, over 40,000 tokens launched in 2022 that gained sufficient traction actually to be worth uh, analyzing, 24% uh, of these tokens saw a price decline in the first week. Uh, this is a strong indication of possible pump and dump activity. Um, I think that, you know, um, there's two ways to look at it. Like from an individual perspective, I think better research uh, and looking for initial red flags is super important. I talked about how, you know, the founders or the teams behind the, uh, these tokens are anonymous. That's a big red flag. But also from a regulatory perspective, I think that uh, there needs to be enforcement. Uh, so, you know, regulatory safeguards such as code audits or requiring tokens to be evaluated before they are listed for training uh, can definitely help ensure a baseline of due diligence. Uh, but these are not by no means a, a silver bullet, right? Uh, this is particularly 
given the difficulty in detecting scams ex ante. So I think that it's a combination of things uh, that can help prevent uh, you know, exposure to these type of uh, activities. One on the regulatory front, and I think the regulators are being very proactive uh, on this, especially in certain jurisdictions. And two on the individual front, like really looking for some key red flags uh, that we just talked about. Awesome. Thank you so much, Julie, for your time and for coming on to break down the crypto crime report. Really appreciated the conversation and thank you again. Great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of Bridging the Gap. If you enjoyed, be sure to leave a rating and follow us. You can check us out at vtvl.io. Uli's and the VTVL socials will be in the description.